what I believe was the title of two separate essays by the philosopher Bertrand Russell and the novelist E.M. Forster in the early 20th century. These two humanist activists set out their approach to life, their fundamental worldview, in a way that was accessible to all. I'm Andrew Copson, Chief Exec of Humanists UK, and in this podcast I'm talking to humanists today about what they believe, to understand more about the values, convictions and opinions they live by. Krista Sturmark is a Swedish author, IT entrepreneur and prominent debater and public figure on religion and humanism in Swedish public life. In 2007, he started the publishing house Free Tanker, together with ABBA member Björn Olveus, for which he is now the chief executive and editor-in-chief of its magazine, San. He is also a former chairman of the Swedish humanist association, Humanistina. Krista, thank you for joining us on What I Believe. Well, thank you very much for having me. We've known each other for some years because of your involvement with the Swedish Humanists and with Free Tanker, your, your, your publisher. Um, but recently, you've brought out a new book that's very exciting and very beautiful, actually. The front cover is a very attractive design. Reminds <laughs> me a little bit of the Atheist Bus Campaign uh, design from back in the day. I don't know if it was a, an illusion or whether that was just in the back of your mind, but it's very beautiful. And it's called yeah. The Flame of Reason, Clear Thinking for the 21st Century. So I'm guessing uh, from that uh, title and what the book says it's about, that one of the things you care very deeply about is reason. Oh, yeah, that is true. I mean, the background to how this book came about is quite special because my intellectual hero since I was 20 years old, I'm now 57 years old, is the American professor Douglas Hofstadter, who wrote Gödel Escherbach, a beautiful book on mathematics, philosophy, consciousness, uh, and music. And um, he came to Sweden and I met him and I gave him my previous Swedish book called Enlightenment in the 21st Century in Swedish and said that I'd, I'd love him to have this book in his bookshelf back in America because I'm writing about how much his book meant to me when I was 20 years old, the Gerd Lerschebach book that he won the Pulitzer Prize for. And, you know, he opened up this Swedish book and started to read for me in Swedish. And I realized this language savant as he is, yes. he speaks fluent Swedish uh, besides uh, Chinese, Russian, Italian, French, German, and a couple of other languages. <laughs> and then he said to me, after reading my book a few weeks later, he said, this has to come out in English. I'm, I'm ready to translate it for you. So, and I said, fine, be my guest, do it. And then he translated it. And then we decided to rework the manuscript. So it more or less became a co-writing project. I mean, of course, it's based on my previous Swedish book, but he added a lot of stuff and he made the manuscript much better. Uh, so that is the, the that is the background to to the book that you 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 have out now mm-hmm. in the UK. And you're absolutely right. It is it is about reason. It's about clear thinking. I think that these times in the world right now shows a lot of blurry thinking. And I want this book to be a sort of a gym for the brain. How how to train your 
cognitive capacity to think more clearly. That's basically it. Yeah. Why did you first become uh, so interested in, so passionate about, so committed to the advocacy of reason and rationality itself? That's a very interesting question. I mean, I, I think you can see it from many perspectives. When I was a teenager, 15, I think, I wrote, I read uh, Bertrand Russell's memoirs in three, three books. And I was very fascinated by Bertrand Russell because I liked his philosophy, but I also very much liked the fact that he was an activist. I mean, he was taking part in, in the debates in the public, you know, public sphere, so to speak. And I, I wanted to be like him, if you understand what I mean. Yeah. No other comparison, of course, but I wanted to, I wanted to <laughs> You promote, wanted to engage. I wanted to engage, yes. Uh, and that influenced me a lot. And that's one reason I was influenced by his activism for clear thinking. And the other reason is probably a more, um, uh, I should ask my therapist, uh, I, I get very frustrated when people say things that are incoherent, I think the word is in English, incoherent mm -hmm. and unreasonable. I, I get the feeling that I have to open the window and get some fresh air in, and I have, find it very difficult to not object to, to incoherent thinking. And I don't really know why that is. Have That's you always been that way? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Were think you so. a very annoying child? <laughs> I was, you bet. <laughs> yes. So you just, you saw things that, uh, or you heard things being said, or you saw things being written that didn't make sense, didn't cohere, didn't stand up, and you became frustrated. That was the word you yeah, used, that's, frustrated. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the case, you know, and I, I sometimes tell people that I get more frustrated by what I call new age culture than I would get by religious fundamentalists, of course, as, as long as they are not violent and so mm. on, because that's, of course, much worse. But, but if, you talk, if you talk to someone who is a religious fundamentalist in the sense that he, he sticks to the scripture and he believes in a coherent worldview, which, of course, I think is completely wrong, but at least it's coherent, if you understand what I mean. If you, yeah. accept, if you accept the axioms, the rest follows. I, I respect that more than... When I talk to some, you know, new age influenced person on a dinner party that believes in, you know, crystals or healing or, or astrology or whatever, and it's completely incoherent. It's just silly. So that's what annoys you. It's the yes. the arbitrary, unconnected yes. nature of the. Yes, yes, yes. And what and what what do you feel? Do you do you think? Oh, you know, why do you believe this? I can't see why you believe this or, you know, it, your life would be better if you didn't believe this, if you had a more coherent way of looking at things. Or <laughs> What is it that you're thinking when you're, when you're, you're, <clears throat> uh, you're allowing yourself to become annoyed by another person's beliefs, by another mm. person's way of putting things? Um, why is it? What do you tell yourself about why you feel that way? I mean, Probably it's some kind of uh, idea of uh, moral obligation to sort out your thoughts. If someone hasn't done that, I think it's intellectual lazy. It's laziness, and I don't like laziness. I mean, mm -hmm. I think you should you should work a little bit to 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 uh, be on firm ground. And when people don't do that, I think it's lazy. You believe Something in hard like work. That. I know you believe in hard work. <laughs> yeah, in a way, yeah. Yeah, 
I don't, that's, you know, be quite honest, I'm not, I don't really know why, why I react like this. It's, but that's why I think it's interesting to ask you. Yeah, yeah. I good. mean, <laughs> good, good. It, it is an interesting question, isn't it? Because, you know, some people think, well, um, if another person is being irrational, you know, um, I, I might pick them up on it out of concern for them, mm. out of concern for, for their, their welfare, because I want them to be, you know, um, living their life in a way that's consistent with reality and that is coherent and that they can be fulfilled. Mm. Um, or some people just think that, you know, bad thinking can do harm. I mean, do you think bad thinking can do harm? And that's one of the reasons of why course, you care about stepping? Mm. Of course. I mean, one of the fights I'm, I'm sort of uh, driving here in Sweden is that we have a lot of media and TV, TV and so on that makes entertainment out of ideas with uh, Haunted houses, for example. Oh, yeah. You know, or psychics. Or, psychics yeah, and things yeah. like I was quite recently invited to a debate in public, Swedish public service television with a, with a psychic man, for example, uh, speaking to dead people and blah, blah, blah. And I think that I think it's very um, un, ir, unresponsible to make entertainment out of those kinds of beliefs because... We know that people in other countries, for example, Nigeria or some other African countries, then people are actually being killed because they think that they are witches or, or you know, they are haunted or people are doing exor- exorcism on their yeah. children and torture them because they think they are um, obsessed by some evil demon and so on. So the, it's it's not a fun game, and when you make television entertainment out of that, I think it's extremely irresponsible. And it's irresponsible because um, the of the harm that promoting these bad ideas does to real people in the real world. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And also, you know, I, I find myself in a moral dilemma because I, I really don't like the, the situation of false balances. You know, when a journalist, journalist invites an, in a debate between someone who knows the science and someone who doesn't know the science, yeah, like, yeah. A, like a doctor and a vaccine skeptic, for example. Yeah, yeah. They, and they create a false balance. Okay, and then the Swedish television asks me, do you want to debate this this uh, psychic man who talks to to dead people? And I realize this will create a false balance. So should I say no to do this debate? But then I realize that they will do this program anyway. Mm. And if I say no, they will take in someone else who might not be able to stand up against this uh, fraud. This this what you call it in yes. English? This uh, fraudulent fake. fake. Yeah. Fraudulent, this, yeah this fraudulent man, yeah. someone who might not, to be quite honest, be as good as I am to, to argue against him. Yeah. So therefore I say yes, therefore I do it. But I also create a false balance. Yeah. That's hard, isn't it? But, you, yes, but, it for, is. but for you, you, you think you know, doing it falls on the right side of your responsibilities. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big place, I think, for, in your in your life for science. Many of the books that your publishers translated or brought out have been not just um, dedicated to reason and, and rationality, but specifically to the discipline of science. But you're not mm. a scientist, are you? You're you're you're, you're science friendly. That's true. I mean, my academic background is in computer science and mathematics, theoretical computer science. So I did a lot of Turing machines and, uh, mm, mm. and mathematics and artificial intelligence back in there. 
the late 80s and early 90s. So th that's my academic background. Yeah. And then, then I was in the IT industry, internet industry during the 1990s. Yes. Uh, and I left that in the early mm, 20s, what is it called, 21st century. Yes. And uh, started this book publishing company with uh, with Björn Ulveus, the, the ABBA member. <laughs> the recently avatared ABBA member. <laughs> the re exactly. Uh, right. We just came back from the premiere of the uh, ABBA show in London, actually, where they appear as avatars, virtual reality <laughs> people. It's very weird. But anyway, Björn and I started this publishing company 15 years ago, and we're publishing about 40 books a year. So that's my main job. And then when I write my own books, that's actually a side thing but mm. uh, of course it's great to to have this book out i'm having it out in quite a few languages actually it's coming out in china as well and in in uk and and america and in uh, south korea and also in russia i think they need it <laughs> ah they certainly do at the moment <laughs> yes. um i think that's obviously true so it's yeah. coming out in china then un uncensored well, uh, I, I won't be able to tell because I don't no. read Chinese, but my co-author or co-working person, um, Douglas Hofstadter, he speaks Chinese, so he yeah, can check he it. he can check it out, can't he? <laughs> so, you, in publishing, um, you obviously made a decision to go into publishing, a business decision, obviously, but also a more mm -hmm. in-principle decision, presumably. Publishing was something that you wanted to do. As, yeah. Are those values aligned with the sort of values that you've been talking about wanting to promote reason and so on did you go into publishing with an agenda you wanted to be you know a salesperson of the enlightenment oh yes that's very true i mean my publishing company we we say that we do literature in the tradition of the enlightenment uh, and that is in a very broad sense i mean we're publishing biographies as well uh, philosophy we're publishing current affairs a lot of just published a book actually about russia and the ide ideology behind putin's um, strategy now written by one one of the prominent uh, russian experts in sweden for example so we we we, we are a quite broad non-fiction mm -hmm. non-fiction publisher but yes we have the heart is the enlightenment tradition we will not publish a book on how to do your horoscope or, no. or, or that kind of things. No, how to, how to speak with the dead. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I think that. I mean, how would you describe your own position? Are you sort of inspired by the Enlightenment? That's one thing. But it sounds like you're also you're also standing up for something. You know, for modernism as against postmodernism. Almost, you're you're, mm -hmm. you're fighting for uh, a certain view of rationality, a certain Enlightenment view of how to think and how to behave which you know is under threat as you said earlier a moment ago not 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 even mainly maybe from religious sources but from other post-modern irrational sources is that about right yeah i would say so i mean there are first of all i think that the concept of postmodernism is a very fluffy concept i think there are there are ideas from the postmodernism um, sort of realm that is quite interesting and important. I mean, there is a lot of things that are socially constructed, and it, so I think postmodernism has yes. given us some quite good ideas. It's a useful but, theory. In yeah, lots yeah, of ways. it is definitely. Mm. But there is there is of course um, problems with it, especially when it's interpreted by people who doesn't really probably doesn't really understand <laughs> it actually, uh, saying that. 
all truths are relative and you know there is no objective truth and so on and that i find quite dangerous yes and also i find it very annoying that it seems like people who says that um, truth is subjective there is no objective truth they think that we who say there is an objective truth we are the dogmatic ones but i would say it's the opposite because if if there are no objective truths then you can never be wrong and what i'm saying is there are objective truths therefore mm. i can be wrong mm. but someone who believes in a completely relativism when it comes to truth they can always say i'm always right because the truth is my own and no one can interfere with it and that is of course very dangerous especially if you if you turn it into if you transfer it into the the realm of moral judgments for example or cultural relativism or all these areas yeah and identity politics which is becoming a problem i think uh, in some aspects yeah so that's what i try to uh, work against as well yeah so there's a strong link for you between um reason and the use of reason um and being a a morally responsible person there's a morality here that you're expressing yes yeah i would definitely say so yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Were you raised uh, to be a little rationalist in your family? <laughs> by your... No, to be quite honest, I mean, my my parents were not religious, but they were not um, interested. I mean, religion was not something we talked about at all, so I was quite unaware of that. Uh, they were... My stepfather was a political journalist at the Swedish television, so he taught me a lot about... Um, how the debate is going in society and that uh, things like you should you should be critical to the arguments and so on i mean he learned he taught me to navigate among political arguments i think quite in well. order to find what in order to find the truth yeah in order to find the truth and and basically not be misled by easy uh, you know um, easy arguments uh so that that was important for me i would say mm. so i was i was raised to be a questioning critically thinking person that that's that's for true that's for sure mm. and in 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 sweden today because um most people on this podcast have have been from from english speaking countries in mm. sweden today what are the biggest threats do you see to mm. to these values to enlightenment values well, we ha first of all, we have quite a lot of problems with gang criminality, cr uh -huh. cr criminality right now, a lot of shootings. Uh, that is not really related to this, I think, but that's a, it's, it's a natural problem well. that we're trying to deal with. Um, there, we also have um, qu quite strong identity politics movements that sometimes goes... Um, too far, I would say. And what do you mean by that? Because this is the second time you've, you've referred to this. Is this? I am. Is a very can be a very um, uh, difficult area for people to get into and to discuss. I think because there's a lot of very explosive, uh, explosive politics around it yeah, these days. I know. But you're saying, I suppose, um, that what the sort of politics that uh prioritizes identity over the content of ideas or whatever or, or... and over the individuals over yeah. the individuals okay i mean we have a recent case now i'm not 
super confident to say this in English, but I'll try. I mean, we have this art school in Sweden where they have a room called the White Sea, and that has the reasons why it's called the White Sea goes back to long, long ago. But then there was a student movement saying that this was racist to call it the White Sea. Mm. And a professor at the school said that um, the naming of this room is has nothing to do with white as a race. It, it has completely different connotations. So there is no reason to change the name because it has nothing to do with that. And then a lot of the teachers at the school make some... Um, they, they write an open statement against oh, yes. this professor and mm. started to actually behave quite badly towards her. And this became a quite scary movement, so to speak. She's just written a book about this, so that's why I, I, I just read uh-huh. it. And the, and the head of the school doesn't dare to stand up for this uh, professor, for example. So there's a lot of, you know... People are scared. They don't dare to speak up on these things. They follow sort of the the mob, the attitudes right. of the mob very much. Uh, yeah. So is that what you feel has gone went wrong in that situation that people were um, coerced into joining in with a mob, where actually yes. the 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 thing they were mobbing for? Uh, actually wasn't even a real thing. It was just exactly, a complete misunderstanding. Yeah. I see. That's, okay. and, 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 and you, you're saying, culture. No. but they were doing that because they, they hadn't taken time to look into the matter themselves. I mean, what's the sort of, what's the, um, where is the, where is the problem in this? Is it that they were too, too quick to accept, um, uh, you know, some, inaccurate version because they felt like they were on the right side in an anti-racist way or is it because they didn't take the time to think for themselves into looking into the situation or is it they weren't taking a balanced view and listening to both sides what is it that sort of in your analysis what's what are they doing wrong those people Uh, i think they are extremely anxious to look good that's the primary primary reason i think Mm. you know i I had lunch with Hans Rosling a few months before he died. Uh, you know, this fantastic professor, Hans yes. Rosling. And he said something to me at that lunch that I will never forget. He said that in Sweden, the people are too concerned to look good instead of doing good. Hmm. It's sort of this, the surface. What, what does it look like? Do I say the right things? Do, do I side with the right opinions instead of actually doing good and okay. i think he was very right with that so this is a sort this is this goes to the heart of what you've said about reason and individuality yeah. then, because you're saying that people are people are being tribal tribal rather than rational instead of thinking mm. for themselves mm. they're following the people they want to fit in with and look good uh with yeah yeah exactly and i think it's interesting because it it aligns very well with a evolutionary psychologist who says that our cognitive abilities are i mean evolution didn't create that to find truth they created it to survive Mm. for 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 us to survive and of course sometimes that is the same thing i mean it's good to know the truth to survive but not it not always sometimes it's better to be in your group to sort of accept the group view even if it's wrong, because it makes you safer to be in the group, so to speak. 
So that is evolutionary psychology. And of course, if we want to find the truth, then we have to find tools to go against that impulse to stay in the group, even when we know it's not the truth that they are advocating. And this is why um, you write about and promote this sort of mental gymnastics to, exactly. to tra train the brain, train the brain to do the right thing. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's true, isn't it? There's all sorts of biases and fallacies that, that point us in the wrong direction, that make us, yeah. make us misfire. Um, which, yeah. one, which one are you most guilty of? I think mine is definitely um, confirmation bias. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the biggest yeah. one for me. Yeah, yeah. Same here. I mean, same here, of course. I mean, I buy books that discusses things that interests me and uh, sort of I want to learn more about the arguments for what I already <laughs> think. So, yeah. so that is definitely the case. But you're so right. I mean, my, the idea with my book is to be some kind of a cognitive gym, you know. I want to take the brain on, on the gym. Or you can call it like a vaccine against conspiracy theories and blurry thinking. That's what I wanted to do with the book. Yeah. I think the gym's a nice metaphor. My, my favorite metaphor from a British, British humanist I learned, I can't remember who it was who said this, but she said, um, humanists always have to do a mental spring cleaning. You, know, you, you always have to be, it's, you can't just do it yeah. once. You've got to be every now and again, you've got to freshen up your beliefs and think, do I really believe this? Should I really believe what I think about this? Or is it you know? so true? But so it, true. Uh, the, the idea of a workout is a, uh, is, is a good one. Um, yeah. Do you, uh, when you, when you find yourself slipping into biases or fallacies uh, yourself, um, do you find it easy to call yourself rec recall yourself to reason to become reasonable again? Or well, you know, uh, um, I actually try to to read things that doesn't align with what I think. Right, that's a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah, just to go against that. And I hang out quite a lot with Jesuits in Stockholm, for example, which right. is uh, that. <laughs> That's because my wife writes fiction, uh, uh, historical fiction novels, oh. and she's uh, she's hanging out with the Jesuits all the time. So she's she's invited me to that. <laughs> People. Well, they're very clear thinking in some ways. I mean, yeah, they're... I know, I know. That's what I, that's what I mean. And, and so that's very good. I mean, it's good for me. It's good for me. A I lot of logic, just a lot of false premises. You say <laughs> exactly. I think Jesuits for sure. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> mm. It's the first time I've ever heard hanging out with Jesuits as a prescription for mental uh, <laughs> <laughs> development. But yeah, why not? <laughs> I can think that. I can see that would work. Yeah. You know, you said um, uh, earlier on that um, you were first in, in one of the things that inspired you about Bertrand Russell was not just his his clear writing and clear thinking, but the fact that he was an activist. Um, mm. And you've been an activist for yourself not just through books and through your publishing your is your publishing a sort of activism would you say well yes in a way yes yeah, because yeah. we are an idea driven publishing house so yeah in that sense yeah but also in, in other ways um through the swedish humanist association or mm. uh, other movements um do you you know what was it that do you think gave you the impulse to to actually be that way because there are lots of people who um, accept the truth of certain propositions or are committed to reason but don't um, get out there and, uh, and, and, and do it. And you mentioned that there was a, a family connection with the idea of seeking truth and critical thinking mm. and so on. Was there, a, was there anything in your early background, do you think, that drove you to, to be active? 
that that was the right thing to do? Well, I think, you know, when I was a child, I was a quite, uh, uh, I wouldn't say lonely child, but I was interested in things that other children were not interested in. I didn't play football. I didn't hang out with uh, friends. I, I, I was very much into mathematics and computer programming and so on. So in that sense, I had very lonely interests. And that also made me develop my my sort of uh, standpoints independent of other people, I, I would say. And when I got a little bit older, you know, in the teenage, uh, t well, to be quite honest, I tried to break f break free from this loneliness. I started a rock band. I, you know, I, we made records and we played live and I was living the rock and roll life for a few years. But then I went back to, to the love of mathematics and philosophy when I started to study computer science. But I do think that this early childhood, some kind of lonely interests made me develop quite independently from the group. And that helped me stay uh, a, a little less influenced by group thinking, I think. Maybe. I don't know. This is just a guess. Hmm. The importance of being an activist, our moral responsibility to learn and be coherent, critical thinking to find the truth. Krista Stonemark, thank you for telling us what you believe. Thank you so much for having me. That was Krista Stonemark speaking for the What I Believe podcast. What I Believe is a weekly podcast from Humanist UK, and this was the ninth episode of the fifth season. We'll be releasing new episodes every Thursday. If you'd like to support the podcast, find out more about humanism, Humanist UK and the work that we do, you can find out more on the Humanists UK website, humanists.uk. And if you like what you read there, please consider joining up as a supporter or member. You can learn more about humanism by purchasing the Sunday Times bestseller, The Little Book of Humanism, available at all good bookshops. <laughs>